Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Juwan here as always, and thank you for joining me a week after the Australian Grand Prix. Um, purposely left this show to be done kind of a week after. Also gives gave me a chance to rest after what was a busy weekend as well, having been there four days. Uh, writing for the Raw, um, representing him on the ground, and also put out an article for F1 Chronicle too, so please go check that out on, on their website. Um, it was a it was a great weekend. Entertaining. <laughs> Some people will have you believe the whole entertainment side of things, but a lot to unpack from the race itself, um, which was marred really by a slew of incidents and, you know, whether it was on track or off track. Um, there was just a lot going on. And, you know, first of all, big congratulations to the Australian Grand Prix Corporation for putting on the event as always it was the final um Australian Grand Prix for incumbent um CEO in Andrew Westacott too so uh he will be going on to passages new as was announced um ahead of the race this year but you know good on um Andrew Westacott for getting the Grand Prix through some of the more difficult years you know the sport definitely not doing so well in terms of popularity in the early 2010s and whatnot um and then COVID of course as well the you know I could do a whole I'm pretty sure I have done a whole show on it um but I should do like a retrospective on you know 2020 and the um events that took place uh ahead of that race being cancelled and COVID and then of course you know signing a landmark extension to see the race in Melbourne through to 2035 with F2 and F3 coming in support. So, you know, well done to Mr. Westacott and um, wish you all the best for the future. And <clears throat> speaking of record weekends, 444,000 people or over, it was over that, it was 444,600 and something. Rather, I got the last two <laughs> digits, so lost um, memory of that. But what a weekend. It was the best crowd in attendance to the Australian Grand Prix ever broke last year's record as well you know it came with its own issues in terms of infrastructure and public transport which I won't complain too much about anyway but um you know we had a pretty good race too up until the end where we had the slew of incidents as I referred to earlier two red flags and one of them seeing a chaotic restart with two laps to go on lap 57 so, you know, we'll unpack all that. There's also supercars to talk about as well because they were in support again um, with their Melbourne Super Sprint at Adelaide. Melbourne Super Sprint at Adelaide, that's a good one. Doofus. Um, Melbourne Super Sprint at Albert Park is what I was trying to get at. So, yeah, without further ado, if you look at the results on paper, Max Verstappen winning from pole position, you know, it's kind of points to a boring race um but the fact that you know it wasn't the easiest weekend you've got to say and you know it's not me saying that entire uh, saying that tongue-in-cheek or anything like that if you followed the practice sessions and followed qualifying as well which you know I know a lot of my uh friends and colleagues over in the UK and Europe would have struggled to um welcome guys to to my life and watching F1 every other time of the year I've, I've, I think I've rubbed it in enough over the last two weeks, but anyway, we'll, we'll ta I'll take any opportunity. Um, yeah, you know, not being able to have 
you know, not being able to get many long runs in, or if if they even completed a long run, um, I think transmission issues or downshift issues again. We saw Perez, Sergio Perez, um, having issues with his brakes as well, uh, going into the final corner at one point, and then you know, ultimately in qualifying, it undid. Sorry, in qualifying, it undid him as well, but. For Max then to go into Q3 and all of us like, okay, well, what's happening here? We've got we've got Ferrari in the mix. We've got Aston Martin in the mix with Fernando Alonso. We've got the Mercedes cars looking really competitive too. What does Verstappen do? He pulls out a awesome bloody lap and goes up by half a second before the rest put in their final um, Q3 runs and, you know, reduce the margin. And so to everyone's surprise, it was Mercedes who ended up on the front row next to him. It's not like it was a wet qualifying either. It was dry conditions. Mercedes just happened to find a window for their setup and worked really well with the tyres this weekend. And we saw them competitive. So it was George Russell in second and Lewis Hamilton behind in third. Um, and then when it came to the race, oh, Max getting a poor getaway, music to the ears of both the Mercedes, Russell goes into the lead, you've got Hamilton behind, we had a safety car on the first lap as well, and that was sadly uh, Charles Leclerc, the reigning race winner, um, heading into the weekend, tangling with Lance Stroll, and you know, when you look at Ferrari's weekend as a whole, it was a horror weekend, and Melbourne's one of those tracks that they have traditionally done quite well at, and, you know, Leclerc's dominance last year was kind of testament to that. But to walk away from the weekend with zero points, as we'll tackle into a bit later, um, it's not looking good for them when you look at where they are in the standings. And hard to, like, really pick, you know, or look at the standings and take much away from it just three races into the season because um, it is going to be a long season, 23 races. But when you are on the back foot this early and when you're still not there with your car performance either, then there's obviously going to be a lot of head scratching and question marks around um, what the future looks like in terms of, you know, the rest of the season. So, surprised to see Mercedes up there. Um, equally surprising to see lack of performance from Ferrari. And then, of course, Leclerc being out on the first lap. It was 12 months ago where it was Carlos Sainz who ended up out of the race in the early stages in the first couple of laps, but making a mistake on his own. This time, it was his teammate. Uh, we had another safety car out on lap seven when Alex Albon lost the rear of his Williams, and Albon really was did quite well. He was really my star of qualifying to get into the top ten, but also eighth, you know, ahead of Pierre Gasly and Nico Hulkenberg as well. So really getting the most out of that Williams, and as we you know, recall last year as well, Albon was on that really strange strategy which saw him take the hard tyres all the way to the final lap of the race and then pit and then still finish in the points and, you know, points few and far between for Williams, but um, this opportunity certainly went begging when he made a mistake on his own there at turn six. Um, George Russell, Carlos Sainz, they took the opportunity to pit, though... 
it really wasn't great for them because a red flag came out the following lap um, because of gravel on the track and that's something that we'll talk about a bit later as well but um, you, the stewards and race control deeming that it was a situation worthy of a red flag not completely to the agreement and you know approval of the other drivers as we'll talk about as well later but it definitely didn't really help um, Russell and Sainz's case and Russell we look at um, George and how in terms of the inter-team sort of rivalry between him and Hamilton uh, at Mercedes is last year we saw a lot of opportunities where Hamilton kind of fell on the other side of the safety car and Russell benefited and Hamilton didn't kind of thing and this was kind of a reversal and that happened 12 months ago at this race as well where we had a safety car and then uh, Hamilton kind of was on the wrong side of it and Russell was the one who went and finished on the podium but this time with the red flag coming out when it did it did mean that Hamilton was leading the race as well at this time ahead of Verstappen and Fernando Alonso so you know for him to be at the front of a Grand Prix it's not something we've said a lot of over the last year sadly for uh, the seven-time world champion but he was able to benefit and pretty much the rest of the field too where they could get that free pit stop and everyone went on to the hard tyres. It was short-lived, though, because Max did what Max does and retook the lead, um, and then we saw a virtual safety car out because there was a fire rolling past uh, the pit lane wall, <laughs> which was George Russell and his uh, power unit going kaput. So I had actually, you know, as soon as I saw him coming around the final corner on the, on the TV screen in the media centre... Turn my head right to the window. Can I see a fireball coming? Yes, I did. The smoke and the fire and everything. And Russell had to pull over at the side of pit exit, which meant the pit lane was closed. But they were able to clear everything up quite quickly, which was good um, so that we could continue this race. But um, by that point, you know, you could easily be excused for thinking, oh, well, you know, Max is in the lead now, so it's all over. But there was plenty of other intrigue going on too because you had Alonso in third pressuring Hamilton. There was an exchange of personal best lap times as well in that moment. And then uh, every time the fastest lap got taken away from, from Max, he ended up going out and setting a fastest lap himself. So that's how he got to that 10-second lead quite quickly. Um, but yeah, you know, Alonso, the wily old uh, character... Um, still quite uh, chipper when it comes to racing. And it's really good to see, like, you know, we can talk about the tragedy that has been Fernando Alonso's career um, in retrospect, in retrospect, and, you know, for a long time. But this is what we've missed. You know, this is, you know, when you look at the nadir of, you know, his final years at Ferrari and then McLaren, um, and then ultimately walking away from the sport. It's like this is what we wanted to see from Alonso for all these years and whether he would have actually won more championships as a result of it. You know, we all know the answer to that, but you could all, you know, say that with your rose-tinted glasses and with the benefit of hindsight. But in the moment, what we have is excellent and, you know, putting pressure on his old rival, uh, won't quite say they're mates or whatever, but um, his old rival in Lewis Hamilton um, created a nice little exchange between those two. Of course, we knew that Hamilton would hang on, um, having the, not not really a tyre advantage, but they were looking after their tyres a lot better, regardless of what you hear on the radio, and they seem to have the measure 
measure of Aston Martin's pace as well did Mercedes, so that was good to see if you're a Mercedes fan. Behind them, though, we had some great racing in the midfield. That extra DRS zone that we've got along the lakeside heading into turn 9 and 10 um, really benefited, and we saw some DRS passes. Uh, Checo Perez, as we said, he had a problem in qualifying and ended up out in Q2, so starting in 15th, he worked his way up into the points playing positions actually he started from the pit lane and he wasn't in queue he was out in q1 so he ended up going into the pit lane to do a pit lane start with some i think suspension setup changes and ended up taking an extra control electronics unit too so did valtteri bottas as well which we'll get to a bit later uh the mullet man as we could say our resident bogan and you know for those who didn't know i guess the reason why he's got VB branding everywhere, Victoria Bitter, the swill that it is that, you know, a lot of people do enjoy, you know, don't mind it, (laughs) certainly had better beers, certainly had worse beers, VB, Valtteri Bottas, I guess, you know, if if you're his marketing people, it it was a bit of a no-brainer, was it, Um, but yeah, Bottas also starting from pit lane with suspension changes and he didn't really have the greatest weekend but Checo's move on Lando Norris into turn nine was sensational um going around the I think in the down the inside we also had some uh great exchanges between Norris and Hulkenberg as well Hulkenberg of course in the points at that like fighting for points as well as Norris as well McLaren not yet on the scoreboard until this race of course and hometown hero Oscar Piastri with Yuki Tsunoda as well um, fighting over a prospect perspective points. So that was great and entertaining. Middle part of the race, so while Verstappen did romp away. But then we had our third safety car on lap 54 when Kevin Magnussen hit the outside wall at turn two. His right rear tyre and wheel pretty much gone, rolling down um, the straight on the way to turn three. And Magnussen as well uh, coming to a halt there too. And then we get a red flag. So this is the contentious one, everyone, where, yes, it's lap 54, we don't have long to go with a 58-lap race. Did we need that red flag for the Magnuson incident? Short answer, no. I mean, you look at what happened in Monza last year with uh, Daniel Ricciardo having a um, car failure, but no damage as such, but it did take quite some time for the marshals and the to get the crane out, the JCB, and to remove the McLaren. So we had a safety car um, conclusion to the race, which wasn't everyone's cup of tea, and certainly a lot of people made it known that they weren't a fan of that. But in this instance, would they have been able to clear up the wreck under a virtual safety car or just a safety car Um on its own and again we had the FIA coming out and saying that there was gravel on the track um like okay yeah gravel gets on the track you don't need to stop a race and clear it up every time it happens you know it's it's not it's not on and as far as you know damage from Magnuson was concerned was there a whole lot of debris probably not you know and the drivers certainly made it known people like Max in the press conference after the race as well was like yeah you know they should have just 
done it under virtual safety car really shouldn't even brought out the actual safety car so you know max kind of not really caring if it affected his uh, result because he was going to win the race anyway but you know some of the drivers behind if you know it gave them an opportunity with the red flag to perhaps better themselves and whatnot perhaps that plays into the comments Esteban Ocon made about drivers being suicidal when it came to that red flag restart so um, it is quite interesting how it unfolded. So the way it all occurred, or the old, the way it all went down, was the fact that we got a restart with two laps to go on lap 57. Standing start, everyone had changed over to the soft tyres as well, and then what ensued was utter utter chaos into turns one and two. Um, so it took me a while to kind of piece it together how everything unfolded. But we had signs crash into Alonso. We had both the Alpine drivers crash into each other. So, you know, all the people out there in the preseason, like, how long is it going to take before we have Gasly and Ocon go into each other? Well, it was only three races. We also had Logan Sargent go into the back of Nick DeVries as well at turn one. We had Checo and Lance Stroll both in the gravel at two different parts of the race. So... This idea or this fantasy of, you know, oh, you know, we, we're going to have an entertaining restart and, you know, Fernando Alonso is going to probably win it and Oscar Piastri is going to be on the podium because that's just what Formula One is. This was the opposite of what anyone would have wanted, essentially. And why did we take the risk for in the first place? Okay, why the risk to do that? So... Obviously, we've thrown into another red flag uh, because the stewards have got to mop up the mess or the marshals have got to mop up the mess on the track. The stewards have got to mop up the mess in terms of what the restart order was going to be. And, of course, if you look at the precedent set in Silverstone where um, we didn't even make it to the first timing intermediate or the safety car two line, I believe, um, it is when we had that massive shunt for Zhou Guanyu at the first corner... Um, the stewards, it's up to the, it's to their discretion whether they can just have the restart order as it was when we got that restart going or they use the SC2 line. And I think given how much everyone had fanned out and were jostling for position when they got to that SC2 line before turn one, you know, they weren't going to try and figure out what was going on there. So obviously they set the restart order the same as what it was um, on lap 57. And then that's minus the cars that were taken out. So that was both the Alpines, Gasly and Ocon, Debris, Logan Sargent. Um, and yeah, lucky for Perez and for Stroll that they were able to keep going. But um, it was insane. And the fact that, you know, we then had to wait another 13 or so minutes, I think, for all this to um, kind of be checked and rechecked and then communicated across to everybody. Um, and that it would just be a parade lap, really, to the checkered flag because the race would be restarted on the final lap and the safety car would bring them around for the lap, then peel into the pits, and then, yeah, Max would pretty much lead them across to the line. I mean, cool could have been avoided, couldn't it? It really could have been avoided. So, what was also contentious and farcical was the fact that Signs was hit with a five-second penalty um, for causing a collision. Now, if you're going to null and void anything that happened coming into that turn one and two melee 
or kerfuffle, whatever you want to call it, um, then that means you're not going to be giving out penalties to people, are you? I mean, the Alpine drivers got summoned to the stewards afterwards and there was no further action taken. So, again, Sainz getting a penalty. He was furious, to say the least. And you could hear him on the radio, like, please, 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 you know, they've got to rethink this. And I remember after the race, um, just before the uh, top three driver's press conference happened, signs walking, walk through the media centre on his way, I'm guessing, to the stewards to try and figure it out, but that was someone you did not want to be in the path of, or, you know, to even um, get a look at him, because he was furious, you could see the steam coming off him, so, and rightly so, because if they're going to pretty much, you know, snap their fingers like Thanos, and um, pretend that the whatever happened on that lap didn't happen, then the, there's no need for the penalty. And five seconds when the field is compressed, and he was probably, what, fourth or fifth at the time, five seconds when the field is compressed like it is and basically being led to the finish line by Verstappen in, in formation, it dropped him to last which of the classified runners, which was P12, so not even in the points. So again, you know, Ferrari's unlucky weekend with no points, but it's absolute garbage. Um, before I get into more of this um, debate, and you can also read about it as well, I wrote an article for The Raw, um, which went out earlier in the week or late last week. Um, yeah, so what, I'm, what I was saying is about the whole entertainment versus sports side, but let's cap up the the top 10 and the rest of the finishes. So we had first points for Oscar Piastri as well on home soil, uh, eighth for him, which was great. McLaren in the points with both their cars because Norris finished sixth and Norris, Norris finished sixth. God, what's happening with my words here? Norris finished sixth and there would have been a lot of McLaren fans hoping that they actually scored some points heading into this break between now and Baku and of course Baku when they get those big upgrades and there would be other fans who would be a bit more pessimistic and like oh you know let's just survive and not be too far off but they've rocketed up to fifth in the constructors and they're ahead of Alpine so if these upgrades in Baku actually bring them to where they want to be in terms of um, being on the pace with the likes of Alpine and whatnot then boy you know they've, they've done well in these first three races to not be further behind than they really were. Uh, Hulkenberg finishing in seventh as well, good for Haas, more points, and uh, Joe Guan Yu ninth, and Yuki Tsunoda in tenth, which was great. Behind him, Valtteri Bottas outside the points, unlucky, but he had a very, very terrible weekend, just being off the pace and being out-driven by his teammate as well. And qualifying, I mean, it was good to see Valtteri having fun off the track with his um, Bogan get-up, and I've got great pictures of him coming in on the Thursday uh, wearing um, a singlet, I'm not going to call it white, or why not, you know, uh, they call it a wife beater around here, so coming in with a wife beater, shorts and, and thongs with that moustache just looking so extravagant, and, and the mullet as well, um, and I've got heaps of good pictures um, from the weekend, of course, you know, and they're not to be published on anywhere but my social media, so, um, yeah, loving the driver outfits as well, and made it a mission of mine to try and get as many of Lewis Hamilton's outfits as I could, and I got, I think, all 
three of the four days, the Friday one with the Tommy Hilfiger, the satin jacket and the jeans. I think it was a bit too blurry, the picture, but all the other days was great. Uh, and then signs, you know, last the classified runners in 12. So, you know, farcical, probably the best way to sum up this and how many times have we mentioned that word in conjunction with Formula One recently. I mean, I think a, a bit too many. And the fact that as well, and it just makes my blood boil a little bit, um, not going to lie, whenever we hear or see anything to do with Michael Massey, the former race director, um, that there's just all this vitriol that comes out on, on social media. I mean, how dare people, you know, this is someone who, yes, he made a mistake. Um, it was a big mistake and he did lose his job for it, but why to keep carrying on with death threats and threats against his family? And does it make you feel any better? in that situation does it yeah it's it's okay to have an opinion about um what happened and we all do going back to abu dhabi if you want to look at more holistically not saying that massey should have stayed either so don't don't come at me for that but what's changed really is it a matter of the sporting regulations need a whole rethink you know what does the sport want it does it want to be entertainment does it want to be sport um can that problem be attributed to one person such as it is with massey all the time and you know massey was in australia because a he lives in australia so for those people who are like how dare he come near you know into an f1 paddock well first of all he lives in australia so you're going to tell him to get out of his home country b the supercars championship was at the Australian Grand Prix, as they are every year as the support category. Um, and Mr. Massey now works as the commissioner of the, um, or the chairman of the Supercars Commission. So, of course, he's going to be allowed to wander into the paddock. And, of course, there's lots of people he he actually is probably good friends with. I like, for one, I saw him talking to David Croft, um, and they were having a lovely old chat by the looks of it. He was talking to some Ferrari drivers. I think it was I saw him talking to Carlos Sainz, but he might have been there with Leclerc as well. Doesn't matter if he didn't go to Mercedes Hospitality or to Lewis Hamilton and offer an apology for Abu Dhabi and whatnot. The point I'm trying to make here, and I think I summed it up really well in the article, is... This is a problem that goes beyond an individual or the mistakes of an individual such as Massey. Um, the fact that, you know, we've had the precedent, I guess, of Baku 2021 where we were able to, or F1 was able to do a red flag towards the end of the race and restart a two-lap sprint and we actually had a decent outcome. You know, everyone thought that was spectacular and entertaining and whatnot and then then that wasn't followed for for Abu Dhabi. Um, and then last year in Monza, we had safety car to the finish, where really, like... And that was the, wasn't even for, like, debris on the track or anything like that. It was just the slow response to get Daniel Ricciardo's car moved from, from where it was stuck. And then now we have the red flag again at the end and trying to get the race restarted 
it's it's got to be about consistency and if it means tearing up the sporting regulations and starting over um then by all means because it's better than looking like you know looking embarrassing here i think i use the line of oh uh, you know you, if you're gonna make your bed you've got to sleep in it and don't do a proverbial Goldilocks and like want to try every single bed out before you think oh yeah this one's all right for for tonight and then for tomorrow night I'll, I'll do it another way because it's embarrassing it doesn't look good for the sport and you know for an event that went so successfully with you know the big crowds and everything that we saw um over the weekend I think it was a very a sour way to end the Australian Grand Prix and to have it um, now remembered as being another race where the FIA just fudged it and looked um, like a joke. And, you know, I said last year coming into, you know, the new presidency for Ben Sulayem and then, of course, the shared role of race director at the time between Niels Vitic and Eduardo Freitas, it's now just Vitic on his own doing it, that, you know, they're going to have some big shoes to fill if they want to avoid the same mistakes happening again. And whether it's attributed to, you know, the decisions coming just from race control um, at the track and from the race director, or it's just the way that they're following the guidelines and interpreting the rules, like if we need to tear up the rule book just just do it so we can avoid this happening again and set some new rules you know and not have them as convoluted or as gray or as this you know like the one thing that I will give them credit for this new administration that they did right was the rule around um track limits and everything they were just like okay if you're out you're out laps deleted see you later or if in in a race situation if you go over the track limits three times, you get the the black and orange flag or whatever it is. So, you know, they did one thing correct and then they're doing other silly things like cracking down on jewellery and underwear and, and all this sort of stuff. So it's it's just a confusing time. And I think what doesn't help it as well is, yes, the extra attention is good. I know some people don't agree that, you know, Formula One's as popular as, as it is at the moment. There's a lot of, you know, fans kind of, you know, they're there just to be there. And, you know, I, I don't want to really criticize fans because you're allowed to be passionate however way you want to, unless you're going to be giving death threats to, to somebody. Um, but, at the end of the day, it's still sport. It's a world championship. It's got such a prestigious history, you know, and, and legends and this and that. Let's not turn this into wrestling or WWE or going too far down that path where the glitz and the glamour and all that. This is why we've got sporting regulations. So we need to really just make sure we stick to that. And I hope that this doesn't happen again in the future. Even when you look at the way Alonso's penalty in uh, the previous race in Jeddah was done, you know, where it appeared that all was good. He goes to the podium, gets his trophy, then, you know, they come out, oh, yep, you've got a such and such penalty and the trophy's not yours anymore. Hand it over to George Russell and on your way. Then they appeal it and he gets it back. It's like, come on, guys. This is absolutely ridiculous. It is just it's not on, it's not a good look to have, I'm pretty liberal when it comes to, or, you know, very 
open-minded when it comes to dealing with the popularity that the sport has had you know recently and whatnot and you know it is nice meeting new people who are new to the sport and who are willing to talk to a um a rusted on fan like me and be able to you know enjoy what i have to say and the stories i have to tell and everything but you know not everyone's gonna be stupid and fall for this sort of rubbish so let's just hope that it doesn't happen again or if we can see um something improve and also very sour way to end the weekend was the post-race laps and security as well with the the track invasion happening earlier than permitted um horror stories of the fact that security kind of just left their posts abandoned their posts because they didn't want to deal with um, 130,000 rampaging fans wanting to get on the track. I mean, I saw footage today of a JCB or a crane pulling an Alpha Tauri across the track while there was people running across it. It's like, come on, mate. It's, it's not that important for you to go to the, get to the podium as it is to make sure no one is injured or killed. Um, and yes, you know, it does say on the, like, this is in reference to the other incident that happened where a piece of Magnuson's bodywork went and um, cut someone's arm in the crowd. It wasn't too bad a cut from what I saw, but it does say on the back of your tickets that motor racing is dangerous. So anyone trying to make a story out of it is like, okay, that's it's just, you're just trying to create fluff out of nothing. Um, but yeah, the, the whole security thing was absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that the Grand Prix Corporation now actually has to go to an international panel of stewards to answer for this and to say that, yes, we've put a remediation plan in place to make sure this happens it doesn't happen again. I mean, it's just poor form on the crowd, I think, as well, but also security could have done a better job, as they could have done when I was on my way out Sunday night from the track. I did leave quite late. Um, and I was driving out because I did decide to take the car on Sunday, didn't want to deal with um, farting people on the tram like happened the night before on Saturday, and then the tram broke down too, so there's my um, horror story from the trams on, on the weekend, but um, yeah, driving out of the circuit on Sunday night, I was parked on the golf course, so you have to take a long zigzaggy dirt road out, um, I was stopped and there was cars behind me as well, uh, one of the security chaps saying you've got to stop the car, turn the engine off, they're just about to do fireworks right next door and you know the most loudest thing I've ever heard uh, especially after a you know weekend of race cars and those F2 and F3 cars sound sensational as well by the way um, yet Security at Albert Road, um, which is the main road that you exit onto from, from the car park, had decided to let a car come through the other way. And that absolutely ticked off the the chap that was minding us. And, you know, we were very grateful that they were doing their job properly. It's like, mate, there's fireworks going on. If you've told one lot of cars to stop and turn your engine off, don't then let other people in the other way. Even though if it wasn't the same person, but, you know, the point stands that, like, what are these guys doing? And then by the time I get to the checkpoint to get out of the track, um, and there's, like, a whole queue of cars behind me because 
of being stopped for the fireworks. Um, old mate decides to want to check my boot. And I'm like screaming at him. This is how you open the boot. This is how you open the boot. Doesn't know what he's doing. I have to get out. Lose extra time. I don't even open the boot fully. And he's like, yeah, you're good to go. It's like, what am I going to be taking from the track? Seriously. I came here to do my job and cover the race. And that's about it. I'm not the one who's going to be pinching Heineken signage or whatever various terms and conditions signs that I saw people making off with at the fan forum stage and everything. It's, it's, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to let it, you know, ruin what was a pretty good weekend overall completely. What was a really good race as well up until the end there. But my point stands about how things need to be dealt with going into the future. Um, you got to make your bed and you got to stay in it. And if not, then we're going to have more and more instances like this. And, um, you know, what, what are people going to say? Like, are we going to have another instances, Abu Dhabi 21, for example, where, you know, a world championship result is kind of, um, affected by it. And certainly that's not going to look good for the FIA if it was, but at the same time, you know, the, the whole bashing on Massey kind of thing needs to stop too, because, I, for people, particularly in the media, and I know a certain Sky Sports presenter um, got shut down on air for this as well, apparently, for, for talking about Massey and like, why is he here in this weekend? It's like, mate, that's just unprofessional. You know, do your job. You're not here to be um, judgmental on things that have happened in the past. And yeah, it's okay if you feel that way, but don't, don't go and air your dirty laundry on, on live TV, particularly when, you know, millions of people around the world, you know, claim to be fans of yours and what you do. I mean, that certainly really ticked me off too, because I, I rather like, um, Ted Kravitz quite a lot and have for years, but the fact that, you know, he's not going to stop complaining about what has happened in the past and look beyond it that it's not it wasn't just the individual's fault as we're seeing at the moment with the way that the FIA is uh kind of governing and you know laying down its law in F1 so yeah that was a that was a lot of what 40 minutes almost just talking about the Grand Prix but yeah please check out um my article that I did write for the Raw I wrote another piece for F1 Chronicle talking about, you know, why when you take, you know, modern F1 and what it's all about and combine it with the the rich history and racing and all that, that why the Australian Grand Prix is, is probably one of the best events in the world. And then I've got something else lined up in regards to the impending format changes, apparently, to sprint weekends. And letting everyone know that I'm not very much a fan of what is going on. But let's turn to the Supercars Championship as well, because we had the Melbourne Super Sprint going on, not in Adelaide, at Albert Park. Um, I won't go over F2 and F3 too much, or at all really, but I was um, guest on Formula Talk, which is a new um show by the lovely people at Grid Talk, hosted by the lovely Sophia Richmond, talking about um, F2, F3, and other feeder series and open wheel series over the world. So there's some IndyCar chat. Um, they're going to talk about F1 Academy as well. When that gets going, the new all-female category under the F2 and F3 FIA 
umbrella whatever um so yeah really really good for good of her to have me on and whatnot so you know if I you know get my act together and actually watch more f2 and f3 i'm sure i will have a lot more to say um but yeah just the vibe of having him there was was great so i love it i make it no secret that i'm not you know i don't know all the drivers and everything like that classic case in point um old mate uh, joshua kerr shout out to you hope you're having a good break this weekend and over the school holidays um over easter said, I want a picture of Ollie Behrman, if you can get me a picture of Ollie Behrman. And who do I get? I get some random F3 driver um, who was wearing a Ferrari Academy t-shirt. And I was like, oh, that might be him. And no, it wasn't. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to live that one down, but um, it's all right. So great to see the Gen 3 cars and supercars firsthand for the first time as well this season. Um, for the first race, I was kind of on my way out of the track, but decided to stand by turn eight. Um, there was a nice gap through the fence as well, where I could get some good pictures. Um, and that's, you know, the far section along the race, uh, along the lakeside, and then heading into the braking zone at turn nine. Oh, they sound great. They sound louder than the previous generation cars i love the you know the backfire and the the spinning of the flames from the exhausts when when they are on the downshift or they're braking and got some pictures of um i think it's bryce fullwood in the the middies camaro with just this pop of flame coming out of that bright pink um middies car so you know it's it's just they look great they sound great um but are they racing great? That's the big question. And yes, you know, we had some good racing over the weekend. Of course, parity was another talking point after the fact that no Ford cars finished in the top three all weekend. So there was four races. But we had Shane Van Gisberg and the champion brushing off a crash in practice with the win in race three. He crashed at turn seven. It was a bit of a big crash, but um, was able to qualify fifth and ended up first at the end of the race. Pulsed Anton Di Pasquale having pit stop drama, so that cancelled out any opportunity he had to finish on the podium in that race. So he was sixth. And you had your Erebus duo, Brody Kostecki and Will Brown, on the podium. Kostecki breaking through for his maiden win in race four and also the fact that there was only two racing laps as well so uh, because F3 qualifying kind of went over time um, due to weather and whatnot it was cut down from like 13 laps uh, or 12 laps for the race to eight laps and then there was lots of incidents going on so there was only two racing laps we had James Courtney thrown out um, from P2 for putting David Reynolds in the gravel. He would have finished on the podium otherwise, would have Courtney. We had a fire for Nick Perkat as well. Jack LeBrock crashing at turn seven. But um, yeah, a win for Kostecki finally um, for Brody. We've seen Will Brown in the Erebus since they've been together for the last two, three seasons now, I think. 2021, two, yeah, so two seasons they've done together. This is their third so to, for Kostecki to get on the board as well, um, he backed it up with a win in race five as well. So as a result um, of the points accumulated over the weekend, he won the Larry Perkins Trophy and also leading the championship for the first time too. And when was the last time Erebus led a championship? I'm not sure if they actually ever have, even back when David Reynolds and Deepa Squally were winning races for them um, 
in the late 2010s. So, yeah, and Brock Feeney, first ever pole position for him too. The youngest ever pole sitter in supercars at 20 years old, 20 years young, whatever you want to say. And then going on to win race six as well, and Andre Heimgartner behind him, as well as Kostecki rounding out the top three. Unlucky for Fullwood, though, even though his car looked spectacular with the flames, as I said, but um, he was on for the podium in race six, but a second unsafe release in, in two days cost him that with a penalty, and that was rather cruel, and Brad Jones Racing, typically one of the benchmark teams when it comes to pit stops, so, you know, it wasn't great that they um, kind of fell by the wayside there. Uh, as I said, Kostecki was Larry Perkins' trophy winner. The trophy hand is the driver with the most points at the end of the Melbourne Super Sprint or Albert Park support race, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, there's a bit of conjecture about that as well into the future with only, I think, a year left on their current deal with, with the Grand Prix Corporation and with F1 to be the support race for Albert Park. Apparently there's talk of F2 wanting to take over that garage and pit lane that supercars has at the moment and whether if supercars gets kicked out of that are they going to end up having to revert to non-championship races or no pit stop races for example which you know like as good as it was I prefer that they're fighting for points and for the championship here too so we'll see how that one plays out but you know there's got to be there has to be a lot of work going in from both sides to make sure that they can get a new deal through um because yeah F1 is going to be in Melbourne for a long time and before anyone brings up night racing let me be honest with you guys I think it's a terrible idea and just because you know one race a year people on the other side of the world are not happy with the timings. I don't think it should be the reason to have to change the infrastructure for a race. And yes, it might look good. It might not. I don't think it's feasible or viable, given the fact that it is a suburban area. There are houses around in the suburbs of, you know, there's Middle Park, Albert Parks, and Kilda, not too far. Um, it's just going to be chaotic, and I don't think we need that. I love the Australian Grand Prix for what it is. And yes, there's ways that they can innovate to stay relevant in the future. But, you know, I just wrote a whole article saying that why why it is actually one of the best events on the ra- on the um on the race schedule, you know. So I just think it's rubbish and hopefully nothing comes of it. <laughs> Making it known that, you know, I don't want a night race here because yeah, four hundred and forty odd thousand people. It's pretty accessible when when you are able to bring kids and and bring the whole family. And I don't think for a night race we're going to see kids out on a Sunday night, for example. So, yeah. And going back to the whole Ford thing. So, um, car fires for not only Nick Perkat, but James Courtney as well uh, on the Saturday. And that ending up being the cause of them having a rolling start for the final race. Um, It hasn't been, I guess talked about yet what the cause of all the fires were but a lot to take away for Ford though because it was a disappointing weekend in that they didn't finish on the podium at all um and what's going to happen next you know so there's there's more parity testing coming up and whatnot and I just I just don't know I really don't know it's not a really good place at the moment in my eyes but you know hey Good on, good on Erebus, good on Kostecki for getting up there. Shane Van Gisbergen obviously still fighting that deficit from the disqualification in Newcastle. So, 
you know, it could be an intriguing one if um, the Erebus duo and Kostecki in particular can keep up what he's doing into the next few rounds. And of course, um, it will be a while before the next round in Perth. I, I keep thinking Tazzy's next on the schedule, which traditionally is after the Grand Prix, but um, they'll be heading off to Perth and then back over for Tazzy um, at the end of the month. So yeah, as with F1. All right then, well that pretty much wraps it up for this one, a lot to unpack and talk about, I hope all of it was insightful and meaningful, or you don't really care, that's fine as well, as long as you, um, you know, just be nice, I guess, um, with with feedback and all, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, certainly, and I, again, you know, despite the ending for the Australian Grand Prix, I still think it was a great event and really enjoyed my time and look forward to the next one, so yeah, um, take it easy, hope everyone has a good and safe Easter and um, restful one as well, and um, I'll be back for the next one, which won't be for a while now, because... I will not be covering Baku. I won't be live blogging Baku this year, but I will watch the race and um, do the podcast for you after that. So until then, take care. The reason I'm not blogging Baku is because there's a gig on that night that I've got tickets to, Sleep Token. I'm really looking forward to it. And Baku is one of those other races where it's on at a convenient time for us in Australia, and then that happens to be one that I'm missing. Anyway, thank you all, take care, have a good one, and we'll see you next time.